Hello, this is Annie de la Ver, Shaman of Avalon, and today we're going to be getting down and dirty with the devil to find out who the devil, he or she, really is. My late mother had a saying, speak the truth and shame the devil. I expect yours might have too. Well, here I will be speaking the truth, but in sympathy for the devil. I sometimes think that the devil must be the most fervent Christian of all, for existential reasons. Without Christianity in its Bible, he wouldn't exist. Well, not as a personification of evil that he is betrayed as today, anyway. Sadly, this actor that trod the boards of the ancient mystery plays has been completely bent out of shape to inhabit the stage costume of a pantomime villain that the Romans and even their descendants today still employ to keep us all in line. However, with Christianity now on the wane and onward Christian soldiers no longer inspiring us to follow the beat of the drum of the masters of war, the globalist-leaning Club of Rome uses more political spectres to terrorise us, such as the mad evil Trump, the mad evil Putin, the mad evil Gaddafi or the mad evil Saddam. It's funny how they're always mad and evil. They have to demonise someone, otherwise there is no one and nothing that we need protection from. Then they, by which I mean those who rule us, will face themselves an existential crisis. So when they fail to convince us about wicked Voldemort's threatening our very existence, then the science priesthood is tasked to come up with another bugaboo for us all to boo and hiss at. Proof that the world could end tomorrow and it will be all our fault if we don't stump up our carbon credits. But before going on to break down the mythological origins of the mad evil Satan and the mad evil Lucifer, and we're on the subject of demonization, can I just insert a quick word? about this channel. I don't know if you've ever noticed how similar the word demonetization is to the word demonization. Just the I and T is missing. I-T. How apt that is. That's why I don't monetize my videos. I don't want to be demonized by the great god algorithm of the digital church for speaking my mind. So, if you are enjoying these videos, please do hit the like button and subscribe if you'd like to. And if you want to go one further to support me with actual monetization, I have a Patreon account under the name of Shaman of Avalon, and I'll put a link to it in the description box below. Okay, so let's carry on with our task here today of bringing down the gates of hell. Going back to the time of the Roman Christian religion, which was a non-military occupation force for its huge empire, the mass of the common people had not a hope in hell of working out who the devil really was, because they were not even allowed to hear the stories of the Bible in their own tongue for them to make up their own minds. Yet, as serfs of the lords of the manors, they were forced to attend church every Sunday Otherwise, they would be ostracised and have no work and no means to feed their families. And so they had no choice 
but to suffer the secret priestly language of Latin masses and liturgies washing over their poor incomprehending heads like so much hocus-pocus. The persona of Satan, though, existed long before the myths of the Hebrews were written down and collated into the Bible in the 5th century. So in order to understand who he truly is, well, the devil is in the details of the mystery teachings about shamanism, astrology and astronomy, which can be found in the books of the Bible if you dig deep enough. And I'm going to be sharing with you a couple of examples here. But we don't need to understand those sciences in depth to appreciate the disservice that has been done to the memory of Satan. We just need to be aware of the astrological and astronomical symbols that pervaded mythological thought across the civilised world before the era of Christ, when the indigenous tribes were led by stargazing shamans. And in doing that, we will be able to reclaim the power that comes from the knowledge of our true selves and that was stolen from us. Long before most people could read and write, a sort of picture language was transmitted throughout the collective subconscious of everyone in the world through stories that we call myths or legends or folk tales. The collective noun I have for them is the primordial carpet. It's a metaphor for a sort of philosophical tapestry that was the foundational basis of all the colourful woven rugs of the roaming storytellers, which they would spread out under the trees and sit on and wait for the people to come to hear them. They all told the same stories, woven into the same patterns, but with different local colours. The tales were full of magical merlins, brave heroes, fire-breathing dragons, evil ogres, romantic liaisons and various daring do's, just as our moving pictures are today. But while the conscious minds of these folks were engaged with the exciting exploits being recounted by the storyteller, the subconscious mind was following another story, one in the deeper underlays. It was picking up underlying symbols and metaphors that spoke its language. Now, this is important because just because it's called the subconscious doesn't mean there's anything sub about its importance to our lives. There is nothing subordinate or subservient or sub to requirements about the subconscious. If you can imagine an iceberg sailing along in the Arctic Ocean, the one eighth above the surface represents the conscious mind while the seven-eighths under the sea is actually what is guiding the course of the iceberg, like a self-guiding rudder, and that is the subconscious mind. This is the purpose of dreaming, to be in contact with the metaphorical messages, like that one, of the more primordial mind. It's a bit like a submarine, deep in the waters of the underworld, through which runs an eternally flowing, silver, poetic stream. This means that even today, our subconscious mind is informed by symbols and archetypes from a beliefless system of which our conscious mind no longer has any knowledge. But that doesn't prevent advertisers using them successfully in convincing us to buy a pile of stuff that we really don't need. 
I remember my first day working as a freelance copywriter in an advertising agency after I'd just left journalism. I was handed a book titled Understanding the Twelve Mythological Archetypes and I thought, aha, so this is how you do it. It was like being handed the key to the treasures of Aladdin's cave. So I'm now going to explain to you all about the archetypal origins of Satan. After that, we'll give Lucifer the same treatment. And so hold on to your hat because I think you may be in for a few surprises. When Satan appears in the Old Testament, it is in the book of Numbers. He is presented as a Satan angel, supporting the work of God by obstructing the path of a man called Balaam. It is written that the Satan angel was acting on the behest of God, but as you probably already know, during the course of the many and varied rewritings and revisions of these stories to suit differing political purposes, and especially the move from polytheism to monotheism, the term the gods of the Greeks was transcribed by the Romans to the word God, thus causing a massive amount of confusion ever since. The anti-hero of this story, Balaam, is described in the Bible as a diviner and a prophet. But once you hear this story of Balaam and the ass, it will be obvious to you that he was a shaman, and especially as we know, the original Hebrew word for shaman was Baal Shem, which means master of the name. I think the name Balaam, as it has come down to us in the book of Numbers, is a contraction of Baal Shem. So who was this Satan angel and why did it obstruct the path of the diviner and prophet Baal Shem? Well, we need to go back to the beginning of the story. It is set at the time when the children of Israel had completed their 40 year wander around the wilderness and at the behest of Jehovah, they had already conquered the lands of two kings, Sion, the king of the Amorites and Og, the king of Bashan. The king of Moab, Balak, knew his kingdom would be next on the list and he didn't want his forces to have to face the Israelites in battle because he knew they would lose. So he came up with a cunning plan. He sent messengers to the Baal Shem along with all sorts of gifts and inducements with a request, request for him to put a curse on the children of Israel to render them unable to conquer his lands. The Baal Shem then journeyed in shamanic trance to ask his spirits about whether he should put a curse on the children of Israel, but his spirits were having none of it and refused to help him in any way in this mission. So King Balak was forced to send even further bribes and entreaties, pleading with the Baal Shem for help, and then finally threats of outright blackmail. Eventually, our shaman was tempted to agree with the king of Moab's request, and he did what no shaman should ever do. He decided to go find the armies of the children of Israel to perform the curse over them without the permission of his spirit guides. So he obviously wasn't a very good shaman. Otherwise, he'd have known that without his spirit's blessings, he'd have no power to act in this matter and may very well have been killed. Anyway, 
The Baal Shem mounted his ass and began to set off down the sandy track on his ill-fated mission. But just as he rounded the first bend, the huge Satan angel appeared, carrying a flaming sword, and it stood across his path, completely barring the way. The Baal Shem couldn't see the Satan spirit, but his ass, obviously with much greater perceptive abilities, could. So because the animal was riveted by the terrifying shining apparition up ahead, it stopped dead in its tracks and it refused to budge. I should mention, by the way, that this story comes from a time when angels were not the sweet-faced, white-winged creatures we hang on our Christmas trees today. They were huge, often as fierce-looking as the most hardened warriors. And to those with the eyes that could see them, like the Baal Shem's ass, they gave off a blinding light. However, this shaman couldn't see the Satan angel, so he started beating the ass for refusing to move. When that didn't work, he dug in his heels and kicked its belly hard. Whereupon the ass was suddenly given the power to speak and it began to complain about its master's treatment. At this point, the Baal Shem is allowed to see the Satan angel and the angel informs the shaman that his ass stopping was the only reason it didn't kill him outright with its flaming sword. The Baal Shem immediately repents and sees the error of his ways. The story does go on from there. It's in the book of Numbers if you want to read the whole thing. But I just wanted to draw your attention to the part about the obstructive spirit known as the Satan angel. Because as I will now go on to explain, it was actually a personification of the planetary governor of Capricorn and Aquarius, known as the god Saturn. As anyone interested in astrology will already know, if you get Saturn squaring the planets in your horoscope, then you can expect to be obstructed at just about every turn as you try to pursue your life plans, just as the Satan spirit obstructed the disobedient Baal Shem. Here's a quote about the personality of Saturn from traditional astrologer Peter Stockinger. Saturn's action is principally binding, chastening, chronic, cold, crystallising, denuding, hardening, depleting, hindering, limiting, magnetic, obstructing, retarding and suppressing. Saturn is known as the malefic and the greater in fortune. However, Saturn in himself is not evil, but is chastening, corrective and untiring in his efforts to arouse humanity to better and right living by bringing sorrow, suffering, sickness, trials and tribulations upon people, they may learn by their experiences and reap what they sow. That's the end of Peter Stockinger's quote. Perhaps for this reason, Saturn is also known as the Grim Reaper, the Tester, the Chastener, and more importantly for the next biblical story about a trainee shaman, the Initiator. In what is actually the oldest book in the Bible, the Satan angel is sent by the gods to carry out their mission, this time to test the mettle of a blameless, pious man named Job. 
The Satan angel inflicts Job with a series of most unfortunate events in which he ends up losing all his servants, his whole family and his entire fortune. To me, these trials inflicted on Job sound just like a shamanic initiation story from the great initiator himself, Saturn. There is often utter havoc in the life of a trainee shaman. It's like one problem coming along after another, and it certainly has the net effect of obstructing any course towards a so-called normal life before he or she eventually surrenders to their vocation. It is the meaning of the saying, you may have heard it, those whom the gods love, they first drive mad. I can vouch for this from my own experience, but it has also been recorded in the most authentic scientific literature we have on the subject of shamanism. I've spoken before about Mercier Eliade's book, published in the 1950s, titled Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy. It's a compilation of anthropologists' interviews with shamans worldwide at the end of the 19th century, and many of those shamans recount the trials they went through during their initiatory training periods. And so, once again, a perfectly good story about a shaman has been bent out of all recognition by those intent on searching for a wangdoodle actor for their hammer hall of horrors to terrorise the people of Earth into line. To give them credit, this narrative was used to bolster what was probably the most effective and most widespread psyop ever mounted. It lasted for more than 1500 years across the whole Roman Empire, and mythologist Dorothy M. Murdoch dubbed it the greatest story ever sold. Anyway, so that's Satan. Now let's go on to deal with supervillain number two, Lucifer, around whom there is much confusion. Whether deliberate or not, I don't know. I'll let you make up your own minds. But Lucifer is never depicted in the Bible as Satan and wasn't ever considered at all malefic until he was turned into a kind of anti-hero about 350 years ago by John Milton in his poem Paradise Lost. Milton wrote about the aftermath of a war in heaven, the angel Lucifer's fall to hell, and his ultimate tempting of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it terrorised the Puritans of the times. But if you have an authorised King James version of the Bible, as I do, you'll find the original Lucifer in Isaiah. Later translations have removed this verse, um, but it's from Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? The word Lucifer is a Latin word, but it was not in the original Coptic Greek translations of the Hebrew tongue of the myths of the Old Testament. So, as I'm sure you can appreciate, once you're into a third language, you can see how much room the spinners of the web of deceit have to manoeuvre. Anyway, let's try and sort out this web. Lucifer comes from two Latin words, lux, which means light or fire, and ferro, which means bear or to bring. So when we put the two words together, we get bearer of light or bringer of fire. This makes more sense that when we realise that 
Lucifer is one of the Latin appellations for Venus, the morning star, known as such because she is the first star to rise in the morning at dawn. To the ancient Greeks of Homer's time, she was Isphorus. But it was St. Jerome in the 4th century who translated the Bible from Coptic Greek into Latin, and he replaced the shining star of dawn with the Latin name for the planet Venus, Lucifer. A more correct modern-day translation could read, How you have fallen from heaven, O Venus, star of the morning. Venus, of course, is the divine feminine and the only planetary god in the zodiac, ruling both Taurus and Libra. She was known as Inanna in the Sumerian tradition, Ishtar in the Babylonian tradition, Isis in the Egyptian, Astarte in the Mesopotamian, and Aphrodite to the Alexandrians. In our traditions here in Britain, Venus was the Freya of the Old Norse and Anglo-Saxons, and she was Arinrod to the Celts. In truth, this divine lady has as many names as there have been stargazing shamanic cultures across the earth over millions of years. But whatever her name, her Lucifer aspect is always the daughter of the moon god. And I should add the fact that there are three important Marys in the New Testament tells us that the Romans based their heroine on the same lunar template. The three Marys who stood at the bottom of the cross in the four Gospels are Mary Magdalene, Mary Mother of Jesus, and Mary of Cleophas. So this triad of Marys mirrors the triple-faced moon goddess that we find in the Celtic tradition, in which the phases of the moon are represented by the maiden of the new moon, the mother of the pregnant full moon, and the crone of the dark moon. So in the New Testament story of the crucifixion, Mary Magdalene represents the maiden of the new moon. Mary, mother of Jesus, represents the full pregnant moon. And the older Mary of Cleophas represents the dark moon. And altogether, they are Lucifer. The cross of Jesus represents the equinoctial cross of the zodiac. But I won't go into any further about that here. However, if you do want a deep dive into the mythological decoding of the stories of the Bible, including the crucifixion, it's all in my book, Stories in the Summerlands, in which I show how the esoteric mysteries of Celtic Christianity were encoded into the churches of Avalon. So this video was just to give you a quick skim through how the characters in the mystery plays, before they were demonized, usually represent the gods the seven planetary governors of the zodiac signs, but they get bent out of shape by differing political imperatives over time. I hope you found it useful and if you have any thoughts or questions, please leave them in the comments below. You've been listening to me, Annie Delaver. All my books are on Amazon and if you'd like to support my work, I'm on Patreon as Shaman of Avalon.